Praise indeed. Friends, if you'd remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you're using the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, it's either on page 857 or 980. As you know, a couple weeks ago we began a new series going through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, a couple weeks ago we uh, talked about how uh, the book of 1 Peter is kind of like a traveler's guide for pilgrims uh, who are exiles or strangers or aliens in the midst of this world, that we have been called and set apart in the midst of this world and we'd be faced with trials. Uh, and last week, Pastor Anderson talked to us about how this grace, this salvation that was re- has, is ours, was revealed to prophets, but they, were, they searched intently for when that would happen. And that it's been revealed and been given and promised to us today. Today we're going to be uh, taking that a bit further and, and looking at what our response ought to be and how we are called to be holy because our Heavenly Father is holy. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 21. And hear now the Word of God as He speaks to you. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Friends, this is God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the Word of the Lord stands forever. Indeed, our God, this is Your Word. And we pray that You would speak to us through it by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Would You open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive it, that You might change us, that You might make us more like Christ, that we might give You glory and enjoy You forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, as many of you know, Redeemer Church has a church softball team. Now last week, Pastor Anderson told the story about a pretty bad soccer team called, I think, Madrone Football Club, you know, and the one who had lost 55-0 to zero and a bunch of other really bad games. Well, many of us thought that he was actually talking about us, but changing the name to protect the innocent. Now, to be fair, we're not quite that bad, but it's a close enough comparison that it's uncomfortable. <laughs> There's a stereotype for church softball leagues that it's filled of guys that have uh, the mind of a college kid, but the body will not so much. That stereotype is pretty, pretty accurate. Uh, we, we don't talk so much about our speed on the base paths. We, talk more in terms of the, trailer, the size of the trailer we're pulling or our need for oxygen when we actually get to the next base. Uh, and, 
and you don't see a whole lot of ESPN highlights. And we've had our fair share of struggles. So for somehow, somehow many of us have figured out a way to strike out swinging. And yes, this is slow pitch softball. <laughs> and we've had some defensive innings where we make the bad news bears look like all-stars. But we have a lot of fun. It's a great time of fellowship. It's a great time of getting together as brothers, uh, fellowshipping with guys in other churches as well. Um, and the standard of commitment and uh, excellence or lack thereof is okay for a single A church softball league. But let's say we stepped it up just a bit and we said, uh, okay guys, what we're going to do is we're going to get the full uniforms. We're going to get jerseys, pants, socks, hat, the whole nine yards, and you're going to have to earn that R on your, on your, on your uh, hat. You've got, we're going to have a regular practices three times a week. We're going to have to have time in the batting cages. We're going to do strength, strength and agility workouts. Uh, there's going to be, need to be a, an extensive amount of commitment that you're going to have to do. What would happen? Well, we'd probably get better for one thing, but, <laughs> but we'd probably also lose a bunch of guys because that's not what we're looking for. I mean, there's, it would change the tenor of what we're doing. It would go from a time of fun and fellowship to now a time of competitiveness and seriousness, uh, trying to achieve some level of perfection or professionalism that, that just isn't there for church softball. My question for us, friends, is do we approach the Christian life with a church softball mentality? Our God has called us to holiness, perfection, uh, measuring up to him. But do we, do we even pursue that? Do we even uh, consider that as something that we really need to pursue? Or do, do we kind of, uh, do we think, well, that, that's, just, that's just too extreme. I mean, who really, who really does that? Who really seeks to put to death their sins on a daily basis? Who seeks to imitate Christ in every conversation, uh, every action, Every thought. We just don't do that. Um, it, it just seems weird in the midst of our context. You know, people would think that we're just flat out strange. But, and, and, and having been saved by Christ, is it even necessary? Is, you know, what more can we possibly add to the grace that we've received in Christ? But friends, I think our passage today tells us that holiness, our individual and personal holiness, is absolutely necessary. Because Christ has redeemed us from our past life of sin to this life of holiness so that we could be like Him. We, we must be holy because we are His children now. And He requires of His children to look like Him. To look like His Son, Jesus Christ. And we must be holy because our Heavenly Father is holy. Now, uh, in our passage Peter gives us actually four reasons why we must pursue this holiness, starting, this in, starting in verse 14. He starts with, first one, it's, it's an act of being an obedient child. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so also you be holy in all your conduct. So, first and foremost, we're, we're children. We have been if we are in Christ, if we put our faith in Christ, then God has adopted us as His children. We were children of the evil one, but now have been made children of the holy God. Children of the one true and living God. But we're not supposed to be 
rebellious or illegitimate children. We're not supposed to act like we used to act. We're, we're called to be obedient children. We're, we're, we're called to, to obey what our Father has for us now. And, and praise be to God, he, he shows us how. It says um, in verse 16, since it, we, we need to be holy in all our conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God reveals to us what He wants from us in His holy Word. And He's not just professed it with prophets, but it's been recorded for us. It's been written for us. It's been transmitted over the years so that we know that God speaks to us exactly how we would live. It is written for us, so we must be holy. And, and, and there's a change that requires, that's required. He says, don't be conformed to your former ignorance, but do be holy in all your conduct. We, we must pursue change. We can't keep living in the way that we've always lived. That's the first reason, because we want to be obedient children. The second is because we're to live with fear before our Father who is the impartial judge. He says this in uh, verse 17. He says, uh, And if you call on Him, or since you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So he says two things. He says, you know, you are, you've been adopted as his children, but this God that you call Father, he's not just your Father, he's also your judge. He's your, it says, impartial judge who judges impartially to, according to each one's deeds. And so he says, live with fear. Now, that word fear, I'm sure you've heard this before, it can add, to, add some confusion. Uh, the word in Greek is the word phobia, or phobos, from which we get our word phobia, like I'm afraid of something. And that fear could mean either reverence, like a severe reverence, or it could be afraid fear. And there would be many people who would say, well, what Peter's getting at is we need to live with reverence before our Father. And I think that's absolutely true. I mean, God calls us, this is, our God is not just this warm and cuddly teddy bear. He is the almighty, holy God of the universe who can't stand the sight of sin and yet loves us. So it's not like He's just accepting us. Uh, he, he accepts us out of His sheer grace, but He doesn't intend for us to remain in exactly the same way that we are. And, and as a father loves his children and he uh, communicates this love and respect, it is, a, it is important for us to be reverent toward our holy God, that we worship Him in reverence and awe. So that's, that's definitely at play. But I think it goes even a step further because Peter says that this Father that we have is also the, a Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. And I think that aspect of God as our judge takes that step of fear just a, a bit further. And here's what I mean. If, if, God is, if we're being judged according to what we have done, and remember, this is written to elect exiles, to believers. And Peter is saying, God is going to judge you according to what you do, the conduct that you live. That's scary. That's scary because that means that this is, this is the final judgment that determines our eternity our state for all eternity. And, and Peter is saying that we are going to be judged 
according to what we have done. And, and this, this aspect of conduct is so important for Peter. He says it three times. He says um, in verse 15, he says, be holy in all your conduct. That's your way of living. He says uh, then that you were redeemed from the, con- the way that your forefathers conducted themselves. And, and, and later, that we need to conduct ourselves in a particular way. That, that the way we live is super important. And that's, that ought to drive us I think, to fear. Fear, are we actually putting to death those sins in our lives? Are we actually putting on that righteousness that God requires from us? Are we doing those things which he calls us to do? And you might be thinking, well, hold on just a second. This sounds an awful lot like you're saying you're preaching works righteousness. Like our righteousness is going to determine our standing before our God. And I hear what you're saying, and if I ever preach works righteousness from this pulpit, may I never stand here again. But we have to be careful that our theology, even our good theology, doesn't get us into a position where we're distorting or not seeing what God is saying in the text that we're looking at. It is absolutely true that we have been saved by grace through faith. It is not, of, not by works, lest any man should boast. It is absolutely true that the righteousness, any righteousness that we have, is only because it is Christ's righteousness counted to our account. And it is absolutely true, my friends, that we will be judged according to what we have done. And I think the key to understanding that is in the third reason that Peter gives for us why we uh, must pursue holiness. He says, He says in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, because of the finished work of Christ, we who are in Christ, who have put our faith in Him, were ransomed out of that life. We were delivered out of it. And so we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to continue to do that. But now having been set free, we need to use our freedom to pursue that righteousness and holiness that God requires. Our conduct matters. Our thoughts matter. Our speech matters. It was finished on the cross. It was finished when Christ was raised from the dead. And yet, God is working out that salvation in the midst of our lives. And, and, and here's, here's, here's where it comes down to. Our conduct, Jesus said, the words that we say, the way that we live, flows from our heart. And if our hearts have not been, if, our, if we have the same conduct that we had before we knew Christ, that means there's no change of heart. There's no real change of heart. And if there's no real change of heart, then we've not really grasped the Gospel and we don't really understand the love of God our Father. And if we don't understand these things, we haven't grasped it, then we're not in Christ. We are saved by God's grace. But all those who are the elect, all those who God has given His salvation to will pursue this holiness, will be putting on Christ, and will put to death those sins. And so, we are judged according to what we have done because what we have done proves the truthfulness of that which we declare has been done to us. 
And I think we can take it even one step further because I think the fourth reason that, pe- that Peter says that we need to pursue holiness is it is an act of gratitude and love for that great price of freedom that we have received. Back in verse 18, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. If we understand the great price with which we were set free, the great price with which we have our redemption and our freedom, how could we do anything less but pursue this holiness with all of our being? Our God is the God of all creation. All creation is His. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Scripture says. He could have purchased us with all the gold and all the silver of the entire universe. But He has only one Son. Only one Son. And He gave His one and only Son to purchase your freedom. Do you take that sacrifice lightly? Do you take that freedom that was purchased, that gift that your Heavenly Father spent on your life, on your freedom, lightly, and not pursue this holiness which God requires? How could we not rush to pursue this holiness, this this Christ-likeness that He has set us free to, to live in? So he gives us those four, four reasons. He, you know, he says that you know, this is how you are an obedient child of your heavenly Father. He says this is how you live. You, we're to live with fear, uh, to reverence and fear before our God who is our judge. He says that you have been bought with a price. You've been set free to do these things. And he says remember the great price and, and live in accordance with it. But uh, the question is, uh, you know, what is this holiness that God requires? I think we throw that term around about being holy and, 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 holy and pursuing holiness, and I don't know that we exactly know what that means, but given how important it is, I think we have to pursue it and, and, and try to understand what it is. The, the term holiness, uh, typically you would hear people say it means one of two things. There's purity and there's set apart. That uh, think about the utensils in the tabernacle or the temple. They were they were sanctified. That was they were made holy by being purified. Um, they were and then they were set apart from common things. So they were they were no longer to be used for ordinary use. They were only to be used for holy use, for separate use. And when it comes to God's people, both of those things are absolutely true. We have been purified by the blood of Christ. We have been washed as our assurance of pardon said. We have been set free of those things. And having been set free and been cleansed, we've been set apart from the world. Remember that this book is written to the elect exiles. Those who feel like they're strangers and aliens because they really are strangers and aliens in the midst of the world. We're we're now set apart from the rest of the world as God's special possession. And so those, those things are, are true that we're, we're to be purified and we're to be set apart. But those, those things have already been done to us. There, there is an act of, there's a reality that we are holy now because of the finished work of Christ. But that can't be completely what Peter's getting at because he's exhorting us to be holy, to, con- 
to pursue that holy, holiness, to, to, to change our conduct. And I think, there's, I think there's a problem, though, in our question. When we ask about what is holiness, what does it mean to be holy, the answer's right there, right in front of our eyes, and we just don't see it. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God is defining Himself and His character and His conduct and His speech as holiness. I think we want to try to come up with some kernel of uh, what, is, what is holiness? Some, some standard that is some objective standard apart from God or apart from Christ that we think, well, if we do these things, then we'll measure up to this aspect of holiness. But God is saying, you should be holy because I am holy. I am the holy God. And so for us to, pursue, to know holiness, we need to know who this God is that we need to, if we're, going to, if we're going to be holy, we need to be like our Heavenly Father. We need to imitate Him in every aspect of His life. And when we, when we think of the holiness of God, when we think of the holiness of God, words fail, but it's, it, there's a, there, is a, there is a purity and a perfection that is beyond our imagination, and beyond our understanding. Our God is so pure, He makes the whitest white appear stained. He is, he is so radiant and glorious that He makes the brightest light of the brightest star seem dim. He's so pure that he can't, His eyes can't stand to see sin. He's so different from us, so separate that Moses was not permitted to, to look at him in the face, but he, he had to only look at his backside as he passed by. And, and, and his radiance is so expressive that when Moses spent time with the Lord on the mountain, when Moses came down, he had to wear a veil because Moses radiated with this holiness, this, this radiance of God's purity. In fact, our words of perfection and purity only truly find their true meaning in who God is. We, we can't know, we, we talk, we throw terms like perfection and purity around, but those words are reserved for God and God alone. Nothing that we know on this earth is perfect or pure. And we would never know holiness, we would never know what it is to be holy had God not given us His holy word. He had expressed, us, expressed it to us. And if He had not sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the very Word of God incarnate. Remember, Jesus said, I, I've come to reveal the Father. If you know Me, you know the Father. And even the demons knew who Jesus was. And they declared Him, you are the Holy One of God. And so you could say that holiness is Christ-likeness. If we're going to know what holiness truly is, we're going to know who Christ is. And if we're going to be holy, we're going to be like Christ. But I think when we look at Christ and His conduct, His behavior, His, his life, it, it's not the picture of holiness that we would probably define. Um, he, he was without blemish or spot, and yet His life was not sterile or austere, or uh, he, he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. There was something about the way that he lived that, 
that communicated something that was not what people expected. He was, he was perfect and in every way, and yet he got angry and he got frustrated. Um, this holiness that Christ lives out is not this asceticism or free from any pleasure. It's, it's not a stoic uh, removing all passions or emotions from our lives. It, and, it, and it's not focused on rules. God, Christ was, he, he perfectly obeyed God's entire holy law, and yet he wasn't focused on, on the rules. He wasn't, he wasn't a rule follower to be a rule follower. And, and that got him into a mess with the Pharisees time and again. They, they wanted to apply rules, and he said, it's, it's not about that. And he wasn't protecting his holiness from uncleanness by avoiding those people who would affect him. Rather, he, he spent time with the unclean. He pursued them. He, he let his holiness rub off on them. And he wasn't, he wasn't focused on being nice. I mean, he just wasn't focused on these things because his singular focus, his singular focus, friends, was living out the love of God the Father to the people to whom God had sent him. It was, it was showing this lavish love that the Father had for His people. It was, he was first and foremost a man after God's own heart. And He was bringing glory to the heavenly, His heavenly Father. But He was living that out by loving and serving and being with God's people. He was, he was, he was perfectly being God incarnate. God in the present to these people. He was, he was perfectly speaking the very words of God to them. He was perfectly loving them with the love of God the Father. And he, he was perfectly being present with them. Being, being in their lives. Sharing life with them. This, friends, I think this is what holiness is. This being Christ-like incarnating Christ in the midst of this world, living out, speaking the truth of God to one another, loving with this love, being, being Christ to our friends, to our neighbors, to one another. But maybe that was just Christ. I mean, maybe, that wasn't, maybe that's not really what we're called to because Christ was, I mean, Christ was able to be God incarnate because He was actually God incarnate. It was the Holy God come and be among us. So how could that standard ever be applied to us? Because, friends, He has given us His Holy Word to know how we ought to live, and He has given us His, His very Holy Spirit to do those very things. Christ did what He did by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwelt within Him. And when Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, He poured out that same Spirit upon us, upon the church, so that we would know how we ought to live, know how we ought to speak, and that we would have the power to do it. We would be able to do it. We would be able to put to death our sins and to live as Christ would have us live. The problem is, it just, it's, it's so utterly foreign to our thinking that it just seems impossible. It just seems like there's no way that we could ever get there. And in a lot of ways, it seems like a backwards bicycle. I don't know if you've ever seen this. 
after church sometime, YouTube, backwards bicycle. It's a fascinating little thing. So here's, here's the story. So, this, so riding a bicycle is easy enough for any one of us, right? Hence the phrase, it's as easy as riding a bike. Well, this guy had a friend who was a welder who messed around with his bike and made it so that when he turned his handlebars to the left, the wheels went to the right. And when he turned it to the right, the wheels went to the, to the left. And he explained what he did to his friend. And his friend said, well, that's, yeah, that's easy enough. I can figure that out. And so he went to ride the bike, and he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. And, and it, it turns out there's just so many things that go on in our brains in the course of riding a bike that we expect everything to work in a particular way. Our brains have, have become wired to say, when I turn to the left, the bike's going to go to the left. So my balance, you know, how fast I push the pedals, all that. And, and he couldn't do it. In fact, he was a a science guy, and so he went across the, the globe and he constantly tried to say, I'll pay you a couple hundred bucks if all you can do is ride a bike from this bike from there to there. And so all these people would try and they'd say, I understand how the mechanics of this bike, I can figure it out, and every single one of them failed. They couldn't get from there to there. And so this guy, he, he's like, I'm going I'm to figure this thing out. And so he worked at it day after day, and after eight months, Eight months, he was able to reprogram his mind to be able to ride this backwards bicycle. And friends, I think that's what this pursuit of holiness is, is like for us. I feel like, you know, it, we, we understand. I mean, we, we, we read God's Word. We know what God's Word says to us. And we hear it proclaimed in worship and in Sunday school. We, and and we, we, so we know. We've got the head knowledge of what we want to do. But it feels like it's this backwards bicycle. I, I go to try to pursue holiness, and it's just, it's just not working out. We have this, this, this baggage that we're carrying, carrying around and these, these, these habits that just make it so hard to break out. It's like we, we, know, we know that we're supposed to use our words to build one another up. We know we're supposed to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Any except for what is useful for building one another up. But it's just, it, it's just so much easier, and it comes so naturally to just mock and to tear down and to criticize rather than to build one another up. Or, or we, know, we know we're supposed to pursue purity of our eyes and our thoughts, and we're supposed to love the spouse that the Lord has given us with all of our hearts. And yet it's, it's so, easy to, so easy to complain and to covet someone else's spouse. Or it's so easy to let our eyes wander and our hearts wander and to commit this adultery of our hearts or, or our bodies. Or we know, we know that we ought to trust God and live with confidence and courage because He is altogether faithful. And yet, it is just so darn easy and we constantly slip into this habit of anxiety, and fear that we can't seem to break out of. But friends, the good news, the good news, hear this. We struggle with this in the course of our life, but the good news is this. Our God says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our God has promised to us that He will work in us to produce this holiness. If you flip back to the very beginning of this book, remember this is to the elect exiles, and it says, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. 
our God has given us His Spirit to will and to work, to produce this holiness within us. Friends, it's in and of ourselves. If we try to get on that backwards bicycle of holiness, we will fall down every time. But God has promised by His Holy Spirit to train us, to, to work together with our wills to produce that holiness. We are commanded to get on that bike day after day, regardless of how frustrating or how futile it seems or how, how easy it is to want to slip back into those old patterns. Or, or even how foolish we look. I mean, we, we live in a world that just holiness just doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The world doesn't understand it. They, they, we, we, we talk about submitting to an authority outside of ourselves as God has revealed to us in His words, submitting to our God wholeheartedly. And the world says that's foolishness. Promote yourself. Live like you are the, your own authority. We talk about seeking the welfare of other people or our customers or whomever, even at our own expense. And we're ridiculed. Or we talk about pursuing kindness or gentleness or self-sacrifice. And the world knows nothing of it. Not even a close copy. And so we're ridiculed. But God has set us apart as exiles made us as His chosen people and promised to us that we will be holy. So, with that struggle internal to pursue that holiness and that, struggle, that, that persecution or uh, suffering from, that comes from outside as our culture tries to say, no, you just want to fit in. You know, we're, we're faced at a crossroads. We're faced at a crossroads. Do we want to follow a narrow and difficult path of holiness like what our God calls us to? Or do we want to follow a wide and easy path of living in accordance with our sins? We have to choose. And and make no mistake, we make that choice every day with every action, with every syllable that you utter, with every thought that you think. You're making a choice to walk in holiness or to live as you've always lived. But friends, remember, as you consider that, remember what the Apostle Paul said. He, said. he said this. He said, what benefit, what profit, what fruit did you gain from those ways in which you used to live? Those ways in which you used to walk that you are now ashamed of? Those things lead to death. The wages of sin is death. Consider that. Why would we, why, we have been set free to no longer live in this shame of our former lives. Why would we continue to walk in them? But also consider this. Consider that there is tremendous and overwhelming joy in walking in this path of holiness. And this is something else that the world just does not get. I mean, what is the message that we hear? You will only be happy if you do things our way. You are missing out in the best part of life if you forsake these things that we all walk in. Live like us and you'll be happy. It's this siren song. But, and, and, and you'll, be, you'll be weird. You'll be extreme. You'll, you won't fit in. How could you ever even operate in the midst of this world? 
It's a lie from the pit of hell. Why would you pursue this pro baseball mentality when you're just playing a plain church softball player? Don't bother with it. It's not worth your effort. Friends, it is such a lie. There is tremendous and overwhelming joy in pursuing this life of holiness that our God calls us to. He has set us free for joy upon joy and grace upon grace. Think about it. Think about it for just a second. Your God has given you the ability to walk in obedience to the Almighty God, to do the things that He calls you to do, and to have the joy of knowing that, yes, you are being faithful in your walk with Christ. You have the ability to stop feeling this shame of failure of, of, of the, the way that you used to life, live, the, 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 the ugliness that comes after the words that you've said, the, the things that you've looked at, the, the way that you've, you've responded to people. You're, you're, you're able to put that to death. You have the ability to influence other people for the sake of Christ. To build other people up with your words. To make them feel the love of Christ being in their presence. You, you, you have the ability for the Lord to work His salvation through you to lead people to Christ so that they would know this joy, this, this Christ, so that they would have this peace which passes understanding. And the world would see the glory of Christ. They would see Christ in you. They, the world would hate it, but they would see Christ in you shining in the midst of this dark world. That's the joy that awaits us, but that's, that's not where the joy stops because this is would be the joy of our Heavenly Father because our, our God has called us out of this darkness and made us His children, and he, he delights in His purity. Now, because of Christ, when He looks at us, He sees His precious Son, His perfection, but as we grow in holiness, he actually sees that perfection worked out. We resemble more and more that son in whom he delights with all of his heart. And it gives him great joy in seeing that at work in you. And it gives, us great, and it gives great joy to our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we just read in our Gospel passage that Christ loved us, loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her so that He might present her to Him in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing in the marriage supper of the Lamb? Isn't that what He's... Is it that picture that we have in Revelation of our, our Lord delighting in him, Himself in His holy bride forever and ever. He delights in that holiness of His bride, the church. And that is worked out in you because we are all members of that body. How could we not pursue this holiness? How could we not seek to bring glory to our Almighty God? How could we not clothe ourselves with Christ and imitate Him in every aspect of our life? How could we ever even remotely consider the easy path? My friends, that bicycle guy, something happened to him that was kind of strange. As I mentioned, it took him about eight months to to figure out how to ride that bike. And he finally figured it out. But then what he figured out was once he had figured out how to do that, his brain had completely undone itself. So when he went to ride a normal bicycle, he couldn't ride that. <laughs> and he actually went to Amsterdam and 
tried riding a normal bicycle just to have people look at him and think that he was crazy they couldn't ride a bike. But the same is true for us, friends. As we grow in holiness, our former life, our ways of doing things will grow more and more dim and more and more strange to us. And our God has promised that one day we will be perfectly holy in His presence. Where we won't... The former life of offending our Heavenly Father will be thousands upon thousands of years in the past. That we, we, won't, even, we won't even know it. Our, the Holy Spirit is training us to be holy now. And, and those, those old patterns are going to become more and more distant as we put on this holiness. One day we will be holy and perfect like our Father. Perfectly holy like Him. One day we will see Him face to face. We will have joy unspeakable forever and ever because we will be like Him, friends. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father... Could that possibly be true that You would sanctify us so that we could dwell with You forever? That we could delight ourselves with You forever and that You would be delighted in us? Oh, that is our heart's cry, Father. Would You make us like Jesus? Would You give us the strength to put to death those sins which so easily entangle us? Help us to hate what You hate. Help us to love what You love. Help us to speak with grace and encourage and to live every moment of our lives for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.